What Not the Podcast lent up early edition today is Wednesday, Holy Wednesday, April 13th, the year of our Lord, 2022. Here's a reflection on the events of Holy Wednesday, which are not much, but just thinking a little bit about Judas. What was going on with that guy? And then a question about the absolution. Does it belong just to the pastor, to all the Lord's people? Good question. Here's the podcast. Holy Wednesday. Uh, If you're following along in the chart, you'll notice that Wednesday is kind of a quiet day. In fact, early on when I was working out the chronology of Holy Week, I had no events on Wednesday. Uh, But in the last 10 years, I've corrected that. I think the one thing the Bible gives us as occurring on this day, um, how long ago was it? 33, 22, 91, 1,989 years ago, is Judas traveling from Bethany into Jerusalem to contract the betrayal of Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver, thus fulfilling the prophecy thus also giving access, private access, to the soldiers hired by the Sanhedrin to arrest Jesus. Remember, and th- this, it, a couple of things here to think about. Uh, so, so the text would be Matthew 26, verses 24 to 26, also Mark 14, 10 and 11, Luke 22, 3 to 6. Not that many verses. Um, the, fir- the first is, why did Judas have to betray Jesus? Why didn't the soldiers just come and find him? This is a problem. This was a problem for me because I grew up with the felt board picture of the crucifixion. And in the felt board picture, Jerusalem is like three houses (laughs) and there's, there's like six people living in Jerusalem. And it's a kind of cartoonish picture. That's not the reality at all. Um, Jerusalem would have had tens or maybe hundreds of thousands, but probably tens of thousands uh, people living in it and around it. And at the Passover, it would have grown to maybe a million or so people. Um, I mean, lots. So don't worry about the numbers. Just think lots and lots of people are in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. So Jesus would go and teach in public but the the Sanhedrin, Pharisees, Sadducees, the enemies of Jesus, didn't want to arrest him in public. They thought that there would be a riot. And so they were trying to find him. But just imagine your own town. I mean, however big it is, imagine trying to find someone if you didn't know where they are and you didn't have a surveillance state. So you're trying to figure that out. And Jesus wasn't even staying in Jerusalem. He was staying outside of Jerusalem in, um, in Bethany on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So to f- just simply to find out where Jesus is, he has to be betrayed. Someone has to go and tell him, you'll find him here. So Judas is that betrayer. Judas, we'll remember, was, in fact, he, he was not, none of the other disciples thought it was Judas. In, fa- in fact, one of the amazing scenes in the Passion account is when Jesus announces publicly that one of them is going to betray him. And they all question themselves rather than questioning someone else. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? They didn't think, is it Judas? In fact, Judas would have probably been one of the most trustworthy. He was the one who was keeping the money. 
you don't give that to the guy most likely to betray. You you give that to the person that you think is the most reliable and trustworthy. So Judas would have been a, a big surprise. But then there's the character of Judas himself. And, and maybe this to think about is that Judas goes and he contracts the betrayal of Jesus, but then something happens. When he sees that they condemn Jesus to death, he collapses into despair. And he goes and he ends his own life, murders, commits suicide, hangs himself in a violent fashion. And we wonder what changed. And what was going through the mind of Judas when he betrayed Jesus and then when he when he realized that they were going to kill Jesus and he he goes and tries to repent he throws the money back in the temple i remember when we were in germany 2010 for the passion play in oberammergau they had two extended monologues the first was by joseph of arimathea and nicodemus in the sanhedrin trying to defend jesus this is not in the bible and the second is a long monologue by judas and um, I didn't know what it was about because it was in German. <laughs> but it made me think what would what it should it be about. And I think, here's what I think might have happened with Judas. And, and this is helpful for us thinking about the context. We've got to remember that for the average person not paying attention, the Pharisees are the good guys. And we go and we read the Gospels and we're like, oh, Pharisees, boo. We know they're the baddies. But that's because we know the end of the story and we know the spiritual realities because of Jesus. But if you were just kind of walked into Jerusalem in these days and you were a casual observer and you said, who are the holy ones? Who are the good ones? You'd say, well, the Pharisees are. The Pharisees are the guys that you want to ask your daughter out to the prom. They're the guys that want to keep the law. They're the guys that want to follow Moses. Now, Jesus talks about their their whitewashed tombs. On the inside, they're full of rot. But on the outside, they look great. And the Pharisees were against Jesus. That's a lot of pressure against Jesus. That you, you, you have to think that with all the disciples, but especially think of it with Judas like this, that, you know, here Jesus um, is a wanted man by the Pharisees. They've put a price on his head. Hand Jesus over to us. He's going to cause trouble. Jesus is going to make the Roman soldiers angry, and they're going to come and do all sorts of mean things to us. Jesus is stirring up the people. He's, he's causing all sorts of controversy. If we want peace, we have to bring an end to this rebellion of Jesus. This would have been the Pharisees' argument. And it has to be, te- it apparently was tempting to Judas to say, well, look, if I can hand Jesus over, I'll be doing a good work. I'll be... I'll be accomplishing the peace and safety for my own nation and for my own people. And I'll be a hero. It's like, um, it's like the Russian spy becoming a double agent working for the United States. That's the idea. Now I'll be able to overthrow from the inside. And so Judas, and, and Judas must have had, you know, some human affection for Jesus, even though he doesn't believe all these things. He, doesn't want Jesus to die. He just wants this kind of rebellion to end. So they'll they'll beat Jesus maybe and 
then people will stop following him and then we'll go back to normal. This is maybe what Judas thinks, because then when they see that they're going to kill Jesus, he realizes, oh boy, what have I done? And he falls into despair. Now, I don't know if that's what was going on with Judas, but that's my best my best guess, imagining how things must have meant, went, that Judas, when he goes to betray Jesus, is filled with patriotism. Yeah, I'm doing this for my, I'm doing this good work for my own nation, for my own people. He's convinced himself. This, this is what we are experts at, is convincing ourselves that our sins are good works. Ugh, what a fine art we've mastered. And it works, uh, it works fine until it doesn't. So then Judas comes into despair. Now, the Lutheran confessions will contrast the, mm, the betrayal of Judas with the betrayal of Peter, just like they'll contrast the repentance of King Saul with the repentance of King David. And they'll use this example to talk about how repentance has two parts. The first part is contrition recognizing our own sin, that we've broken God's law, and that the breaking of God's law is also the breaking of God's heart, that we've earned and deserved his wrath. And then the second part is faith, where we trust the promise of the forgiveness of sins, that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. Saul and Judas had the first part without the second, and that's the great danger. That ends in despair. But Peter and David, as the Lord desires, come to the fullness of repentance, which is a recognition of the great love and kindness of the Lord and the forgiveness of sins. So may God grant us this repentance by the Holy Spirit and the Word on this Holy Wednesday. Here's a question from Steve who asked, if the absolution is a sacrament, or even sort of a sacrament, uh, then is that the exclusive task for rightly called and ordained pastors? Do we introduce disorder into the body of Christ if we're all running around forgiving each other's sins? Great question, Steve. So uh, let's, let's back up and take a run at the absolution. Number one, what is the absolution? It is the declaration of the forgiveness of sins. It's instituted by Jesus, who says, well, let's. you can look at um, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, where Jesus talks first to Peter, then to the disciples and all the church about the office of the keys. That Matthew 18 is really important. Uh, but most especially John chapter 20, where Jesus on Easter Sunday comes to the disciples, breathes on them, and says, whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whoever sins you bind, they're bound. I remember when I was kind of grumpy after visiting the Lutheran church a few times. And I thought, what is that pastor doing up there? Forgiving my sins. I don't need a, any man to forgive me. I I'm forgiven by Jesus. So I, I asked the pastor afterwards, Hey, how come you're forgiven sins? Isn't that Jesus job? And he opened the Bible and he, in fact, he borrowed my Bible, which I think was a really good move. Cause I, if he wouldn't have done it, I would have said, Oh, that's some sort of secret Lutheran Bible he's got there. But he opened my Bible to John 20. He said, look what Jesus says here. Whoever sins you forgive, you forgive. They are forgiven. So the Lord gives the authority, not only the authority, but the command to forgive sins. This is what the church is. The church is 
the gathering of the forgiven. Now, Jesus forgives sins. God forgives sins. And when we talk about confession in the Bible, we're probably talking about three different things. Uh, uh, One is that we confess always all our sins to God. The Lord's Prayer, even the sins we don't know. Psalm 19, forgive my hidden faults. Lord, I'm a sinner. We're we're always confessing. And the Lord, in, in his word and in the gospel, is always bringing his forgiveness to bear. The second is that we confess the sins that we've committed to uh, uh, to those that we've committed them against. So if we hurt someone, we go to them and say, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. But the third kind of, there's a private confession too, where we go to a pastor, trusted Christian friend, and we say, hey, this is really bothering my conscience, this thing that I did, this command that I broke. And that's especially where this John 20 comes to bear where the absolution is delivered to the individual. Now, is the absolution a sacrament? The the word sacrament is not defined in the Bible. So it's one of these disputes about how many sacraments are there. We just depends on how you define it, and that definition is not given in the Bible. The Catholic Church wants there to be seven sacraments, and, and that's because they have their own definition of what a sacrament is. Traditionally, the Lutheran Church has talked either about two sacraments or three sacraments, again, depending on how you define it. Luther loves this little saying by St. Augustine, uh, verbum fit elementum, verbum et elementum fit sacramentum, the word and the, and the element, and you have a sacrament. And so Luther loves to see two, baptism, the Lord's Supper. Melanchthon, writing in the Augsburg Confession and the Apology, calls the absolution a sacrament too. Now, here's the thing that unites baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the absolution. And that is that they are instituted to forgive sins. So in the book of Acts, we read, arise, be baptized, have your sins washed away. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter two, beautiful. Jesus says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, beautiful. And Jesus says, John 20, whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. So baptism, confession, absolution, or absolution, and the Lord's Supper are the way that the Lord Jesus gets forgiveness to us, the way that he appointed to get forgiveness to us. Remember, forgiveness won and accomplished on the cross, delivered in these gifts. And if you, um, if you put a building over these gifts or you put a box around these gifts, that's the church. The church is the place where the forgiveness of sins is distributed by the Lord Jesus and his word. And if you call a person to do that work, preaching and teaching the Lord's word, baptizing and distributing the Lord's Supper, then you have the office. So the pastor, as a called and ordained servant of God, is the one who is in place to absolve and to give the Lord's Supper and to administer the gift of baptism. It's just definitional. But does that mean that the absolution is limited to the pastor? The answer is no. It's the peculiar authority that Christ gives to his church. This is Matthew 18, and especially Matthew chapter 9, where there's a paralyzed man lowered through the roof in front of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. 
And then they all grumbled, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then, and then Jesus says, what's easier? To say, stand up and walk or to say your sins are forgiven so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth? I say to you, stand up and walk. And then he arose and departed to his house, verse 8, and the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men, men, plural. And there's a beautiful sermon from Luther on this, where he talks about how this authority to forgive sins is, is what Jesus shares with his, with his people, with his new humanity that belongs to Christ. So that it's, it's not an exclusive authority that belongs to the office, but an authority that belongs to all Christians who can and should forgive sins in the name of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Now, maybe it doesn't sound like in the stead and, and by the command of my, well, it could, but it doesn't say as a called and ordained servant of the word, if you're not a called and ordained servant of the word, but still that authority belongs to all the baptized because that's what the church is for to forgive sins. So when you, dear Christian, hear someone reflecting on their guilt and shame, you have something wonderful to say to them. That's why Jesus died. His blood covers that sin. God is not angry with you. In the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. It's amazing. Uh, now, Steve asked, does this uh, become chaotic? Uh, maybe. The answer is maybe. <laughs> but there's a, there's a certain chaos in the gospel. I mean, you, you, you get that sense in the book of Acts that, that things are simply not controlled. Now, God is not a God of disorder. There is an ordering of things, but the order is the order of a good conscience the order of faith, and then love directed toward God. That's the, that's the ordering of the, of the New Testament. And if it looks a little messy in the outworking of it, then, well, I suppose God be praised. Uh, so there's the texts for it um, and some thoughts on it. Uh, great question, Steve. Uh, God be praised. I hope and pray your Holy Week is full of the Lord's word and kindness, his love, mercy, his peace. That peace be with you. Thanks for being part of the fun here. Thanks for sharing part of your day with me on the What Not the Podcast. Uh, more questions? You can, all the stuff, wolfmuller.co. That's enough. God's peace be with you.